Welcome everyone to another great episode of the Do Better Dev Show. I am here with your lovely favorite co-host Nathan. How you doing, Nathan? I'm doing great. How are you? Oh, great. You know, this new studio, I'm just like really feeling it. Yeah, I feel at home here. Yeah. <laughs> it's comfortable, cozy, zero lag. Uh, it's just ups. There's no down here. It's like the a certain coin I'm not allowed to name yet. Yeah. But it only goes up. <laughs> Yeah, they'll find out one day. They'll find out one when day. When it's too late. They weren't in on the ground floor. Mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, so long we build it in such a way that the code is always new and doesn't have any tech debt, you know? That's right. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we should talk about that maybe in like 15 minutes. Maybe, maybe. Until, until that great thing, what other good, bad, or exciting things <laughs> happened to you this week? All right. Well, oh, I, got, I actually have something good. That's... Wow. That's exciting. I've already forgotten my notes that I wrote 25 minutes ago. So a cool thing that I just came across earlier today that I mentioned to you actually was the 23andMe user experience. So this is the physical user experience, not their website. Uh, I don't know about their website yet. But I finally ordered 23andMe after putting it off for approximately three years. And they were like, hey, we've got 50% off till the end of the month. I was like, all right, fine. I'll do it. I, I say no every year for Black Friday. And this time, I'll just do it. So, ordered it. And it showed up, for one, super fast, considering delays on everything. So, I was surprised by that. And it shows up in a little self-contained box. Very clear instructions that they write all over the place. But the main thing is the fact that they have a prepaid shipping label already on the box itself so that when you go ship it back you don't have to deal with bringing anything to the post office and getting them to print a label it's already there and i was thinking ah i don't have any tape because last time i was at the post office i just left my tape there (laughs) much to your disappointment very disappointed yeah and so i was like this is going to be annoying. And then I looked more closely at the box and they have an adhesive strip that you just peel off and then stick it closed. So you don't even need tape on the box and you just bring it to a, um, like drop site, whatever those post boxes are called officially throw it in and you're good. So 10 out of 10 user experience. I was pleasantly Mm. surprised. Uh, other than that, interesting. You're not going to like that. I bring this up, but the fair phone, uh, Yes. So, yeah. <laughs> I don't dislike it. I just have heard too much about it, I but not enough at the same time. Sure. So I watched the MKBHD video on it uh, the other day. It's a phone with the goal of being as sustainable as possible. So it uses parts that are easily reused, uh, materials that are recycled, and things that can be easily replaced. So in other words, like if just your USB port fails, you can essentially unplug it from the phone and get a new one shipped to you. They provide those materials. It uh, it obviously has drawbacks, but it looks like a totally viable product in the space, which is cool. So I enjoyed the video on it. Um, I figure when given the opportunity to choose between something that is better for the world and something that's worse for the world, even if it's not perfect, uh, it's good to have something making an effort out there. Because uh, then, you know, companies like Apple that don't ship a uh, charger with yeah. the phone with the claim that it is environmental, they have to respond to those pressures eventually. So we'll see what happens with that. Uh, another cool thing, I'll end with my frustrating thing. Mm. Uh, another cool thing is not being on Vancouver Island anymore. Wow. Yeah, so I was worried that this wouldn't be cool. Mm. I thought I would miss the island. Uh, turns out the island sucks. <laughs> <laughs> People are so miserable over there, and I had no idea. Mm-hmm. And then I left because I went from Ontario, yeah. where people are the worst. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's right above Detroit, so let's be real. That's people true. are just not not friendly. And so then I went to well, Inga, Inga was in London, Ontario, so it's a city. So it's like grumpy Ontario people that have never seen a clean body of water. And they're in a city, so they don't make eye contact unless they're just like asking for something to try to sell you or whatever. And then I went to the island. 
Mm-hmm. And this old lady on my first day walking through Victoria was just like, hi there. And I was like, oh, people say hi? This is amazing. Wow. Well, then I came to Burnaby, and people are just like not a real pain about everything. Mm-hmm. They don't hate everything. Uh, this is going to tie in later, but being on dating apps where everything's not a list. It's a list of things you like and like your hobbies as opposed to a list of everything you hate. Mm-hmm. And things you don't want in a partner. Yeah. Uh, it's remarkable. So it could be selection bias. It could just be the time of, of the year or something. But the contrast is remarkable. And the last three weeks have been a positive sign. Yeah. If anything, winter is... December is like the worst month. So everybody, So this is like the worst time you're seeing. People would be a lot more happier near summer. Right. And so then it's just all, all good. <laughs> like we, we do see people who are putting things they hate or are too serious about things, but that number is way low compared to the island. Way, way freaking low. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. A lot more people with positive attitudes because they don't care about stupid little things. That t- tends to happen on bigger, nicer cities. I figured it was the opposite, to be honest. <laughs> that would have been my assumption, mm. just based on going from anywhere else I've lived to London, Ontario, which was like, that was the bigger city I'd been in. People were just miserable and grumpy there uh, outside of the Western bubble where it was just all students doing student stuff. But outside of that, I was like, Oh, people, people kind of suck. And then, yeah, the island was really nice. And then I moved here. And so far, at least interacting with people around my age, way better. So mm-hmm. if you're listening out there from the island, don't miss you. Uh, I'm kidding. No, obviously if I have friends there. And yeah, we want all of you to move here too. Yeah. That's the point. Yeah, yeah, it's way better. You have no idea. Yeah. So anyway, that's the last cool thing. Let's go to frustrating things. Uh, I think this will tie into some stuff later as well. Mm. But obviously starting a new job, mentioned mm. it in the previous episode, but how I had no idea what was going on. And I still kind of don't, which is resulting in imposter syndrome hitting hard. Uh, and I'm just like, not a big fan of that. It's good for in, like, uh, wanting to learn stuff. We, I mean, we, I think we did a whole episode about imposter yep. syndrome, or at least we talked about it enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it doesn't leave you feeling good at the end of the day. So yeah, we'll see how that goes. I'm sure in three months, uh, I'll be like, wow, I learned so much. But currently, uh, a company that is months old, uh, with a lot of expectations and um, the least restrictions on what I'm supposed to be doing, the most breadth of expectations, it's a bit bit wild. So anyway, we'll see how it goes. Uh, lastly, wholesome recommendation. Uh, this one is another music-related thing. You would hate this channel um, oh. just because it's, it's mostly reaction stuff. Oh, uh, but, okay, it's, yeah. <laughs> but it's called The Charismatic Voice. And it's run by this lady named Elizabeth, and she's just like a Disney princess come to life. So just super charming, very happy all the time, uh, and just does essentially like singer reviews mm. of sorts. So it's like she'll describe how a singer is using some certain vocal technique, how they prefer to shape their vowels in one way versus another, and a lot of it is her first time hearing a particular artist. So she's gone through this big metal phase recently because she was a classically trained opera singer, I think. Hmm. And people kept recommending that she listen to various metal bands. So yeah, been really into that. And she's been listening to a lot of uh, Dio lately, uh, who's like a, a legendary vocalist. So I don't know. I get a kick out of it because it's just very wholesome, fun. I feel good after watching it. And she puts out a lot of videos. So if any of that sounds remotely interesting to you and not super cringe, then it might be for you. Uh, yeah. That's it. Yeah, no, my, my only hate with reaction videos is they don't provide any value or content. But if she's doing analysis and, you know, I do do like women with charismatic voices. <laughs> um, overall, I just like women too. So, you know. It helps, it's, yeah. It's, it just sounds like a good combination of the two things. So if she is like doing analysis and like, this is how they're using this vocal cord or this is how they're doing whatever music thing, then maybe I, the reaction videos where they just sit there and be like, oh, and like cry or yell and be like, oh my God, didn't see that coming. I'm like, yeah, I, 
I can just do that myself at home. Uh, All right. yeah. yeah, she's she's providing some some level of expertise and insight. So if that's what you're looking for, I just get good vibes from mm. it. So that's mostly why I watch it. But teach their own. Yeah, good vibes are important with a Z. Oh yeah, only yeah, yeah, yeah. a yeah. Z. But yeah. <laughs> okay, I'll start mine off with the frustration. Okay, great. Um, I I so I love biographies. And <laughs> okay, I, I tried reading this biography of Alan Turing, who's one of my very loved people who died in in bad bad life circumstances. But uh, the book title was "The Man Who Knew Too Much," and I just couldn't get into it. It talked way too much about the theories, the numbers, the math, and I'm like, I just want to know the person here. I don't care about any of this. If I want to learn about it, I'll go learn about it in, I don't know, whenever I'm exploring one of these concepts or theorems, instead of, oh, this is how it constructed from Gödel's example versus what Alan Turing taught. I'm like, I don't give a shit. I just, <laughs> I just want to learn about Alan Turing and his life and his thought process and how he did things. Um, yeah, so one of the th- rules are, I made for myself this year, I don't like to call them resolutions because it sounds dumb. Uh, one of the decisions I took this year was just, I will not finish a book if I'm not getting into it. There's too many books in the world and I don't don't have the time. So I pushed through, I gave it a fair shot, I made it through almost 25% of it. And then I started skimming two chapters and then I was done. I was like, I can't do this, this is garbage. Uh, <laughs> it is very highly rated online though, so I don't know, it might be your thing if you're looking for someone. But it was not mine. I did not learn anything new about Alan Turing or anything differently. And couldn't do it. Just just trash. Um, moving on to wholesome things. Wholesome nice things. Uh, there was a really nice Christmas market in North Vancouver. North Vancouver overall is just nice and cute. Because it's filled with rich people who don't have an easy access to the city. So they have their own thing going. Uh, not to talk about West Vancouver because West Vancouver people just have money and then they come do things in North Vancouver. (laughs) So North Vancouver has cute things happening all the time. Uh, They also opened this new museum called Museum of North Vancouver, uh, abbreviated as Monowa. Uh, Not sure how it works, but it does. And uh, yeah, it was kind of cool. It was, there was some history about uh, like little trams that used to run around the city, how the Guinness com- family owned the bridge, uh, and just cute little things. So I was like, all right, this is this is cool. Uh, it was free on the opening day, so that's why I went. I don't think I'd pay $14 for that half hour of walking around. Um, <laughs> but you know, people in North Van, y'all have money, give it to the museum. Um, oh yeah, and I'm like almost about to finish Flight of the Concords. I think it'll finish by the time this episode goes out. Easy. And yeah, just a great show overall. Great, great music, great things. Um, just, I'll be sad and then I'll have to find a new show to watch. Um, oh yeah, and then this is a slight weird funny thing. So Ruby has these templates called, uh, I don't remember what they're called anymore, but they end in an extension ERB. Mm-hmm. which every time I Google, it shows me epic rap battles. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and my brain immediately keeps going that way. Uh, so I have to always be like, all right, Ruby, ERB, document, keyword, or whatever I'm looking for. Uh, but it's pretty neat. It's like Jinja templating, except it's built into it, so there's no external libraries needed. And it just, it's not as clean as I would have liked it to be, because you have to import the internal library, instantiate the class, give it a bunch of variables. But... Once you set up the skeleton, it's just super easy, barely an inconvenience. You just go in and you're like, here's my variable, here's my class, go render this entire file and it'll like spit out a whole bunch of um, whatever you need. So pretty, pretty cool. Cool. I found a uh, Microsoft GitHub action or workflow, whatever they're officially called in the marketplace the other day that was just for uh, YAML and JSON file uh, variable substitution. Mm. And so I'm going to keep that in the back of my head because I feel like it's going to come up and be useful again because I could have used that before building feature environments. It would have been nice because I basically built a, a 
tiny service that you just had hit like one endpoint to trigger some ingestion of uh, config files that update other config files. And that was essentially its whole purpose. But I feel like it probably could have been done with variable substitution uh, that someone else wrote instead of me. Mm -hmm. uh, it didn't need to be too um, baked into our solution. But yeah, keeping that in mind, just, yeah. just the fact that you, the way you described that reminded me of it. And I didn't put it in my list, but I feel like it could have made it. So that's yeah. my honorable mention yeah. for the week. Uh, you, if when you're looking into it, also look into env2yaml. Mm. Uh, okay. Very handy, really good. Because the the issue with anything on GitHub Actions or workflows is if you also need to support local development, now you have to figure out how to substitute variables locally. N2YAML mm -hmm. uh, is a sick, sick binary uh, that goes in, swaps out, and you can just give it a yaml.template or something, and it'll spit out the YAML with the right substitution in the right, all the right places. You know, it's just mm -hmm. solid tool overall. Used it for this government project <laughs> uh -huh, uh, we worked uh -huh. on, and you know, it had multiple environments. Everything just went through uh, clean as Mr. Clean would say. Yeah, he does talk about himself, doesn't he? <laughs> All right, but, well, yeah. do you have anything else on your list? Uh, nope, not on my wholesome list. I, I wonder if that tool is now a tech debt or not. Oh, God. <laughs> I do, yes, I do wonder. Uh, what exactly is tech debt, Ken? Oh, um, it's like when you, when you go to the tech tech bank and mm -hmm. you're like hey give me some tech and then you withdraw it from future and then you have to pay it back mm -hmm. in terms of time probably your peace of mind <laughs> and too many developer conflicts fights hours discussions meetings sure so i was trying to think of a non-tech metaphor ahead of this conversation mm. and the example or the, the thought I came up with was if you were tasked with like a small team of people to paint a wall and it had like windows and shelves and stuff on the wall uh, you could make a bunch of trade-off decisions where one of them might be like all right we don't have enough time to use painters tape to put around the trim uh, so let's just paint and get it done as quickly as possible that means you're probably gonna get paint all over the trim and it's gonna look like garbage and at some point the owner is gonna want to fix that that would be some of the like tech debt of that paint job alternatively you could say like all right we're going to use painters tape or we're not gonna use painters tape but we're gonna be really careful mm. and to me that's kind of just like not writing tests you're like yeah. all right i'm just gonna like i'm gonna write the code and just make sure it works uh and if we come back and we need to touch it up later uh, you have to do it all over again. So, and then the alternative would be like, all right, we're going to use the painter's tape. We're also going to be careful. Uh, and then Lager will come in and clean up all the painter's tape. No matter what, there's always something you have to go back and do later. And that's the remarkable thing about tech debt. No matter what you do, it's always there. Uh, and it's that work that lives on after you're done your work. So it's like the maintenance costs. It's the uh, cleanup after you did something. Uh, which comes in a ton of forms. There's the bad decisions that you made that you then have to address later. So things like this code doesn't make much sense. So future people don't understand it. Uh, there are things like um, you used a library to save on your team maintaining that logic, but now that library is not maintained. And so you have to now either maintain it or replace it. There's a ton of things that come from tech debt or that forms that tech debt can take. And I think to roughly paraphrase a quote I remember from years ago from Rich Hickey, he said something like, your first sprint is perfect. Like you just write the first code and it's the best code. And then the next sprint is also pretty good. And a few sprints later, you have this growing elephant in the room that no one wants to talk about, which is the code you already wrote. <laughs> mm -hmm. No matter how perfect your new code is, there is code that was already there. And at some point, you have to go back and take care of it. And that's essentially what tech debt is. Yeah. Yeah. While you were explaining that analogy, 
this image popped up in my head. Or there's like a clip from Mr. Bean when he was painting his apartment. Okay. He just puts a paint can, puts a dynamite in it, it covers <laughs> everything else, and every, his apartment's painted. Uh-huh. And that's just how startups work, I right. think, in my head. Uh, <laughs> going off that analogy, uh, but yeah, that's an that's an excellent way to just describe it. This you you write things that you think are great, and then as time goes on, you realize they're not so great. Um, which, you know, there's lots of reasons for it. Requirements might change. Um, the way you were interacting with something doesn't work anymore. Libraries are deprecated. Um, or you're just a better developer now, which is also a great thing because you can look at it and be like, oh, I should not have written that weird recursive thing because I'm a better <laughs> developer and know better now. Uh, I would say that no matter what, uh, because you can't predict the future, you're always going to have tech debt. So even if yeah. like if you write the, basically if you write the perfect thing, if you could know what the future was and you wrote the perfect thing now, it would make no sense now. So it would be like preloaded tech debt. Like you would be trying to deal around this abstraction that you don't know why it exists yet, but in four years it'll make sense. But we can't know what's going to happen in four years. So what we do is we write the code that makes sense now, which will eventually become outdated. And I had a fun conversation with my mom like a year or so ago where she was, I was trying to explain to her what like secure healthcare communications did. And I was like, yeah, mm. we like help people in hospitals communicate and schedule things. And she goes, aren't you done though? Where it's basically like, yeah, once you've built the product, <laughs> what else is there to do? Mm. And it's roughly equivalent to being like, okay, well we have, we have a bank now. Surely nobody needs to work there. It's like, well, no, somebody has to do the stuff. Like there's always stuff that needs to get done. And from the outside of software, people often, I guess, might think that things are actually done. You ship it and now uh, next uh, next yeah. on the docket. <laughs> um, but that's not how it works, surprisingly. Code is a, a living thing. If anyone listening has ever made a, like I made a calendar, a Google Calendar integration years ago like four four something years ago and it worked at the time if i pulled that up now because i tried pulling up a couple years ago and it broke by that point if i pulled it up now it definitely does not work but Mm. all it did was you pass like a bunch of google calendar ids and it ingested them uh churned through all the events and put them onto a new calendar Mm. the idea was that at the time you couldn't aggregate events across calendars and have your assistant tell you what was on all your calendars so it was just for essentially saying like, here's my assistant dump calendar that I don't look at because it's too much of a mess. But if I want to know what's happening in like my personal life and my work that day and something else, these separate calendars across separate accounts can be aggregated. Well, yeah, it doesn't work anymore. So mm-hmm. I didn't maintain it. Uh, so that whole thing is now tech debt. Yep. <laughs> Not to mention the fact that I'm sure it was garbage code. <laughs> it was innovative. Innovative, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Visionary. Yeah, and, and that's how it works. You, yeah, you, you try to solve a problem at a time, and yeah, you'll always have code debt. No matter how good you are, you just have to figure out the flags that A, uh, lead to it, and then just be preventative as much as you can, and you will always have to also just figure out ways on how to fix it, because you're going to have it regardless of how preventative you are. Right, so with um, that preamble out of the way... Yeah. You often propose a structure to mm-hmm. the discussion. Do you have one for this episode? Very loose one. Okay. So I, I just categorized it into two ways. One, causes of tech debt, why it exists, how yeah. it can come, and what, what you can do to figure it out. And then how to fix. I just, you know, kept it simple mm-hmm. as, as most things. And yeah, so th- that's what I propose. So let's start off with some causes. Okay. What causes tech debt, Nathan, besides all the things we've already talked about? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the ones that you mentioned stands out, which is changing requirements. Mm-hmm. So that's like the bane of developers' existence because you know it's going to happen. And even if product promises you it won't happen, you have to assume it's going to happen because they're wrong. Uh and you can never predict exactly how it's going to change, but there's all these design principles around it, like make sure that your code is closed to modification and open to extension. In other words, try to write things that you don't have to go in and potentially break a bunch of other stuff to add 
new functionality. And there are, people put a lot of thought into how to avoid the tech debt problem where you have to go and you actually rewrite stuff wholesale. But you always do, <laughs> is the thing. You always have to do some sort of modification because uh, you can't predict the future, like I mentioned. So I'd say the main thing is you get a requirement, you write the simple implementation that makes sense now. Maybe you have some idea of how this might change in the future, but you have to remember that you can't predict that because if you predict wrong, you've created tech debt now and tech debt in the future, and you were wrong. So it didn't make sense the whole time and you were wrong, mm. uh, which is the worst kind of being wrong. You were wrong for no reason. Uh, just at least be right now is, mm. is my current opinion on most of that. And then trying to keep an eye out for something. Like I can't necessarily predict how we're going to want to extend this class, but let's not write it in a way that everything's hard-coded. Yeah. So if you have some base methods that you think we might need to extend later, maybe you implement those in a certain way that they're easily easy to overwrite later or they make sense you're like this is a interface that might make sense across a bunch of different integrations like a common one that's come up at past companies is uh we're going to integrate with service x for client y uh and we go how many other integrations do you have planned on the roadmap yeah go, just none we just need it this week for this customer like all right let's take the afternoon to look into all the other integrations that are out there that are comparable and find out what they have in common so that we can not write integration X's integ uh, implementation and then have to hack X, Y, Z, uh, Alpha, Beta, and Sigma all on top of it. Instead, just like try to figure out what they have in common. We can write some sort of, this is the, uh, the ideas that these integrations represent slapping interface on it and be like, let's program to this interface. Mm -hmm. It's like a common solution that seems to work, but people learn those things over time. Yeah. Uh, and teams learn that companies learn that, but I would say that shifting requirements is probably the main one that I see. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's like a, such a clear example. I can remember from my second job, uh, where we had that, we, we had this service and they're like, Hey, we're going to be like hitting pixels for this other service. So they need it. In this way and we're like okay we, we wrote this one script that would execute and they're like hey so some other companies also want to do this now with us because this looked like a great idea can you build these there will be just two more and nothing else and now we have like 80 percent of the similar code across three files and we're like well you know this could just be abstracted out and then override the method methods to fit the individual needs um but i guess we won't have any more uh, until they come with like, oh, there's like five more now and mm -hmm. this is going to keep coming. And uh, yeah, we had to switch that out. Or happy we did it relatively early on because um, that just kept coming and it just didn't stop coming. And, uh, you know, it just, if we didn't do that, that would have been incredibly hard to test. Uh, it was a startup, so I guess test didn't matter anyways. Uh, but <laughs> But everything about it was just never just never trust the product if there is things you you know aren't all that much effort for making it look like a certain programming practice do it don't don't be a shell scripting bo hacker boy don't don't try to like you know kick out something just because it's super cool to write in a single python file get it done quick build a little infrastructure around it it's okay you know have some classes have some method overloading because it's gonna, and worst case scenario, if it doesn't come up, you invested maybe like an extra two hours, but now you have code that's easy to read, super clean and extendable if they so wanted to do so. Yeah, I think the key risk there is trying to make generic such and such classes ahead of time. Like if you don't know the patterns, don't try to figure out what the generic such and such is. What you can do though is figure out this is the interface I'm going to program to, or this is the base class I'm going to use. And if I'm going to have to add functionality, you can add it to that interface or to that base class. You don't have to then say, I'm going to uh, take this generic class that I made that now my other class inherits from, and then I instantiated a specific implementation from that class. And if you touch 
generic base class, it cascades into all these changes that you struggle to predict. It's like, keep them separate. Mm -hmm. And as long as you keep them separate, it's organized, like you said. And so even if someone comes across it, they can be like, why did we do this? It's like, well, we thought we might have to do multiple implementations of it, so we did it like this. All right, that makes sense. It's only two things to look at. Uh, I kind of get what's going on, as opposed to I have a generic base class that yeah. is instantiated this other thing that instantiates this other thing just because you thought you were big brain and could see the future. Yeah, yeah. Don't try to make something enterprise unless you have to. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think one of my favorite GitHub repos was something about uh, the foobar example in an enterprise way. So it was just a bunch of Java classes of like foobar factory, foobar data. <laughs> and all it did was just print foo and bar for odd numbers. But it was like 20, 30 files in that project, just completely the best example of over-engineering. But, but yeah, and one of the ways I've seen to like avoid that is don't model your code after the requirements of the API or the technology you're trying to integrate, model after business use cases and logical workflows and processes, and you'll be much happier. It'll Because processes are fixed. Technological requirements differ always. <laughs> and then you you can customize it to whatever you need. Again, don't over-engineer it, but the, the, you know, the KISS principle. Keep it simple, stupid. Uh-huh. So yeah. next one that has come up a lot for me is... Uh, mixing tools so you've got mm. maybe you've got Jenkins running some of your jobs and you've got uh, github actions running some other ones you also have like an integration with just to pick on the Argo CI or Argo CD um, whatever the pipeline running one is I think it might just be called Argo and you've got all different parts of your application all running on these separate tools that all do the same thing, which is manage, execute a pipeline of steps. Uh, and you can have tons of different tools that do the same thing across your stack. It's not just like pipeline related stuff. Um, you can have, I don't know, different, uh, something I'm seeing a lot of right now is different infrastructure as code implementations. Yeah. Uh, you got some Helm, you got some Customize, you got some uh, Terraform, uh, I'm working with Palumi right now, so that's top of mind. Uh, there's tons of things that sticking to one and getting in-house knowledge and good patterns around it is going to net you a lot more than jumping to the latest hotness, which we were seeing a lot of in front-end land, where it was like, oh, Google put out Angular, it must be good. And then you find out it's not, so everybody's still migrating to React. And hopefully React stays good because uh, it's been good for a long time now but if everybody ends up with like we've got some uh, backbone and angular and react and whatever the new one is it's just like it just shows that you couldn't commit to something that worked fine because i'm sure if people had just upgraded to like angular 4 or whatever bitten the bullet just said you know what we can make this work they probably would have had an easier time rather than People now have to know React and Angular and whatever their legacy system was just to work on that one product. Uh, and then same thing with, yeah, like I said, infrastructure as code. We had so many layers of abstraction over our Helm charts at one point that I was like, I don't even know where these get built at some point. I just have to look, like, connect through K9s, look at what's actually running. Be like, I guess this got here somehow. <laughs> Yep, uh, too too close to home, uh, especially <laughs> with that example of GitHub workflows, Jenkins, other things. Um, the way I like to make sure it doesn't feel as much as code debt is separation of concerns. Uh, if you are doing multiple services and there's no clear plan in sight for full transition to one or the other, make sure you're committed to one use case for one of those services. So like for GitHub Actions, if you have them, you commit to the actions are only there for either build and packaging the things, or they're only there for adding comments on PRs, or they're here just to trigger workflows and webhooks based on whatever we're setting up. So we have additional logging as opposed to just GitHub randomly shooting out webhooks. Then you have your whatever Jenkins, and its only job is to deploy and nothing else. And if you're using Helm or whatever, it's only to manage the infrastructure. 
Uh, and then that way, at least you know exactly what each service is doing so that when you think of the use case of, oh, I need to do item X, it's workflow A, B, and C. Okay, I need to look at Jenkins or GitHub or this for this logical part of execution, which sounds very nice in theory, uh, doesn't always happen in practice. But every time I have managed to put that in separate buckets, it has made my life a lot easier. Um, and so far I've had to do most of this alone because DevOps is a lonely world. <laughs> uh, but that would be my my two cents of separations of concerns. Um, will even make your life very easier. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can, I can see that. Even at uh, my previous company, they used Jenkins for everything. And then when GitHub Actions became pretty good, the move wasn't to move, try to move like random things over to Actions. It was with this one front end mono repo. We're just going to use Actions on that because it has far fewer requirements than the rest of the services. It's like it really just needs to run like Cypress tests. And then if they pass, sh like push the image up to ECR. And that's pretty much it. Like it doesn't need to do anything else. Uh, and it was so minimal that you end up with a workflow that's just like, all right, here's your handful of steps. Uh, is Which branch is it going on? And do we like, which essentially just decides what ECR reach repo to put it to or how to tag it. And that's it. And so it was notably different. Everybody understands, yeah, this is where the front end code lives. It kind of can sit in its own thing. So it's less of a separation of concerns and just more of a, uh, the front end doesn't use Jenkins, mm. which made sense. Yeah. Uh, logically. Like it didn't need to be that way, but it also, when you explain it, somebody just goes, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> At least then they know where to look if something is going wrong or if they want to make change. Yeah. And then at that point, your concern is just based on service and not whatever business use cases yeah. or based on the service that you're targeting. Um, that also, the Cypress test also reminded me of a big, big cause of tech debt, not writing tests. Uh, or in some cases, writing too many tests yeah. because now you have to maintain those tests every time you make a little tiny code change, yeah. uh, which happens far too often. And sadly, I've seen more times where they were like, let's just remove this test because we need this feature out. Um, because that leads to my next point of um, just product, product wanting features because they're like, we pay money for things. We want things. And then you're like, but new things might break old things. They're like, we don't care. You, you, you make it better, and we we pay, and uh, and that's just a very big cause of not having that communication with whatever the chain of command is, uh, as I'm sure you've experienced and continue to experience this day. Yeah, I have too much of a bias at this point. Mm -hmm. to be like if if products telling me something, I'm just immediately skeptical <laughs> which has been very unfair starting like a new job but i'm just too jaded at this point i'm like i can't trust product yeah i go to the dev team and the devs team's like at least at this company they're like i don't know i just work here <laughs> it's like too new for everybody mm -hmm. um, but that's been the case if uh if products involved you always gotta be skeptical because they as they the pressures on product are usually coming from sales and sales gain pressure from customers so customers want what they want and they expect new things to not touch old things because they're like, well, it's already there. Why would it cause a problem? Yeah. Uh, and then it trickles all the way down to the devs who are like, but, but the code, it's all together in the same <laughs> thing and it might not work. And then when they ship it, it's even further down when the ops people wake up in the middle of the night and they're like, why did you push the code that broke the other code and it woke me up? But customers don't know that. Yeah. And frankly, they don't even care. No. <laughs> they're in their mind they're just like it's your job figure it out which you know fair we just need time yeah well given given the events of today it, yeah it's <laughs> apropos apropos yeah, yeah, yeah uh yeah for for people who will be listening this two weeks from now uh, there was a massive aws outage today you shall remember it as the day most services were down uh on the internet <laughs> And I'm sure there was something about it. I don't know what can or can't I say, so I just won't say anything. Good plan. Yeah. Um, yeah. And another point on what causes problems or tech debt is execution without planning. So, you know, we've already talked about product coming in, asking for features, not giving enough time. 
but also not having enough experience on the team. So they mm. come in, they're like, you have plenty of time to build this. And then there's no senior person there to guide or, you know, you, you just think you Googled enough so you know what to do. And at, the, at those points, it's fair, but it's a flag I want to raise to like keep in mind when you're like, hey, if you have no senior leadership or anyone here on the team guiding this direction, so this could be a potential tech debt. So let's put some like comments, make sure the code is very self-explanatory. There's no technical oversight. Do the best job we can because someone eventually who's more experienced, it might just be you, will look at it and say, holy crap, this is crap. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's nothing to add there. Yep. Uh, we already talked about old dependencies uh, on how that could cause technical debt. And then final legacy code, you know, you're migrating off from Angular to React or whatever, or you wrote some really clever C in your Python just to improve the compile times and now no one understand how it works. So good luck fixing it or improving upon it or migrating it. And you have to figure out what is worth more the time of the developers trying to look and understand this code base and how much productivity it affects, or it's good enough on its own in a corner, removing it will make company lose millions of dollars and it's okay to have developers a little frustrated or no one touching this piece of code. Fine, you just live with that tech debt. You don't have to fix all of it, but figuring out where it exists, why it exists uh, is just as important. I've, I've heard, because I haven't worked at Microsoft, I've heard that's the experience of devs who work on Excel. Ah. You just can't touch it. Mm. Uh, so the code base just grows. That would make sense. You know, everyone uses it. Yeah, you can't go breaking things. You can't make breaking changes because everyone's Excel sheets will break. Can't do anything. It's, but yeah, it's like, hey, you can't change JavaScript. <laughs> just add new rules. Yeah, and Excel doesn't even have dunder methods. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you can't even change that. Yeah, could you imagine? You just you just uh, get some compile time errors. It's just like trying to execute. It's just like yeah, E uh, three is not a function. You're like, uh oh. <laughs> yeah, uh, those are all the causes I could think of. Uh, any causes on your mind? What causes tech debt? Just yeah, writing writing code. Writing code. That that's true. Yeah, you, you write code. It is tech debt. <laughs> Yeah, 100% of the people who drink water die. Yeah. 100% of the code that's written turns into debt at some point. Wow. There's There's got to be graph of linear to time on how fast your code will be code debt. Yeah, because I, I don't even know what it would look like to not have any tech debt. Because if you just, even if you froze it for a moment in time, you might say like, ah, this, at this moment, we have no tech debt. You just wait a week and one of your dependencies gets a minor update and that dependency has a cascade on some other dependency because it has its own dependencies and that at some point has its own dependencies and something's no longer properly up to date or you're using a deprecated method from a library and it wasn't deprecated last week but it's deprecated this week. And if you've ever had... Um, dependency bot or whatever it's called mm -hmm. uh on your repo you know all about that because yeah. it just pings you every other day <laughs> being like hey please update axios uh yeah. you've got it's this warning on this package as well and we've just got so much shared code these days even if your code is flawless and timeless and perfect in every way if unless you're using no one else's code your code will become tech debt and if you have like a static a static product static customers uh, static requirements, no external re uh, dependencies. At that point, you might have no tech debt. Yeah, then you work for Excel. It's all static. I, I suppose, yeah, just frozen yeah. in time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all the finance people, very happy with it. Um, but yeah, some of, the, some of the ways to fix it. Um, do Just do a complete overhaul. Do better. Just, just do better yeah uh, but like have make that one of those team commitments about given how old the technology is like if your front end is still in like angular one or two and you have enough whatever runway and cash pile sitting in your company 
it just might be worth switching it over to like React or some new new language because as time passes on, that tech debt is gonna grow harder and harder to completely replace. Something that can be nice too is if the requirements have shifted substantially since the original implementation, uh, you can sometimes batch like improved implementation or improved user experience with the removal of tech debt. So if you have the example you gave was a front end one, if you built a UI that served the customers that you thought you were gonna have, and then that customer base has shifted quite a bit in their requirements, you can say, hey, we can deliver some new features as we build this new UI, and then that will help convince customers to move over to use mm -hmm. the new UI. So we did that at my last company with our admin views. We had a bunch of old admin UI that was written in uh, Angular mostly, and as a way of convincing them to move over, we're like, all right, we've replaced everything that you had in this particular view, and we added this new stuff that didn't exist when we wrote that view, and we've stopped. We stopped working on that view a good two years ago. So you're not getting any new that new functionality here. If you want to do it, you have to go to the new place. And so you get custom benefits to the end user and benefits to the devs, but you have to have the time to do it. Yeah, yeah. The 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 cache runway is very important. So <laughs> it's probably not the best thing for startups unless you just want to you know throw a beer hackathon and just like. <laughs> completely rewrite your front end into a new one. Fun fact, one of the companies I worked at, there was a developer who looked at this complete app and was like, oh, this is really bad code. I'm just gonna rewrite this entire thing in React. And he did that in a week and a half. It was a pretty big app. Uh, we still don't know if that was good or not, because uh, I never followed up on that. But he had the heart and he did it. <laughs> I know those two things. Um, it's also very, very helpful if you have a technical project manager who listens to you. I guess it's helpful if you have a project manager that listens to you <laughs> and trusts the dev team. So you can do cool things like adding sprint allocation. Every sprint, we tackle 10% of our tech debt or something. Have a certain amount of story points, certain things you're gonna either update, carry over, switch into something, and then if you can get that buy-in from your project manager, it's gonna help. It's gonna help the team environment, code health, and you're gonna like your project manager and they get to you know brag and be like, yeah, my team likes me, as opposed to most project managers whose devs hate them because that's just <laughs> how devs work. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and oh yeah, before you even start doing it, start questioning, is it even a good idea? Is it really even tech debt? Does it just feel like that to you because you don't like the way it's written? Or is it because it's in Ruby? Uh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't, it's not necessarily tech debt just because you feel that way. It might be, yeah, it might be there for a very good reason. So, you know, ask around, look into it. Just because something's old doesn't mean it's bad. Hashtag old people. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, same thing with the PM have your leadership involved. If higher up the chain, they can see your business is generating some revenue, things are good, you have some downtime, maybe Christmas or whatever. Yeah, you can you can do this and you can sell it as performance optimization or increased test coverage. And if you add metrics to it, it's so much easier to sell it to the business because they have something tangible they can look at and say, this is where we spent our money as opposed to devs just coming back and be like, oh yeah, we made things better by how much? Who knows? Yeah, up, uh, platform uptime can be a big thing to some companies. If they can add another nine to their mm. platform uptime, then that can sometimes be enough. Like in secure healthcare communications, that was enough. People actually cared how many nines you had after your 99% uptime or whatever the percentage was. Uh, they wanted to know. Yeah. Unless you're in US East one, then you're probably at like 95 or something. Yikes. <laughs> uh, so uh, one thing I did want to mention for cleaning up is cleaning up as you go. Mm. So if one thing I wish more people agreed with on me or agreed with me on this about was zero point bugs or bugs that need to be prioritized. So it's like my thinking on it is if you're doing story points, and you write, you implement something, and you find a bug in it. You don't get to then add a new ticket with points on it, 
and that five point feature you built is now an eight point feature because you got a three point bug. You're rewarding the devs for writing buggy code. Like it's a zero point bug and they have to go fix it right now. But if you're ending up, so that's just like a baseline. I wish more thing, more teams were like that. But assuming you're more normal and you just have a bug backlog, when you're in there fixing the bug, if the code looks like crap or the comments are outdated or the variables don't make sense anymore, like just fix it up a little bit. It's not that hard. Uh, yeah. It's something that I've done a little bit of here and there because uh, I somehow ended up being the, the bug janitor for most of 2021. And it's remarkable how many times you go into a section of the code base and it's you read some variable name and then you look at what it does and you're like, oh, it totally doesn't mean what it says it means. And then you look at the Git history and it's just because person wrote it three years ago, someone added functionality two and a half years ago, didn't update the variable name. And if you just look at the code, it claims to do one thing and it does something else and it's very misleading and confusing. So just fix it and it makes it less Debt-y. Yeah. And you know what would help with that? Tests. Tests, yeah. <laughs> tests are great. Yeah. Refactoring, your big, your oh. best friend is tests. That's, always. Oh, one of my favorite things about fixing bugs is you go in, you write a test that fails, mm. you fix the bug, the test passes, you're like, oh, cool. Added test coverage, and you got to make sure that what people were telling you about the code actually is the case. Because if you can't make a test fail then how do you know that your change is going to fix it? You don't. That's true. Yeah. Especially I, for most of the stuff I've worked on, which is API mm. crap, where it's like, oh, I send this in, and then I get back this other thing, and this functionality that I think should happen doesn't happen. All right, well, let me write a test that asserts that that should happen. Oh, it failed. Guess it's not happening. Then you fix it, and it works. And then you ship it, and then they say, good, you fixed it. Oh. And everybody's happy. Wow, wow, wow. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I know most... A lot of people like the tester and development. I happen to be not one of those people. Yeah, I could tell by your hater glance yeah. when I said that. But I, I just always write. I, it makes sense. It logically makes sense. You're like, this is expected behavior. It's not happening right now. Let me do my thing. Oh, it's happening now. Good. Um, I just like to observe it, then do it, and then observe it again. And I'm like, okay, this is good. Now let's the computer decide it's good. And then I write my tests. I always write my tests after I do that for new features because predicting mm. how stuff's going to work is kind of annoying unless I'm really comfortable in the code base. So when I was adding a bunch of new APIs to Django, I was like, I've been doing this now for a year and a half. I'll just copy paste the existing test case for something else or test suite for something else, change the detail and list endpoints in the test suite, set up some initial things. I'm like, everything should fail at first because that endpoint doesn't exist. Add the endpoint. All right. A handful of them fail. Add the permission classes. All right. A handful or a handful of them pass. Add the permission classes. Now the permission ones pass. Start returning the right data. All right. Now the right data ones actually pass. It's it's pretty trivial. But if I'm predicting like how a new feature is going to work, you're just introducing meta work for no reason. Uh, so I'm not a big fan of that. Yeah. Even in the meta worse. Oh God. <laughs> so again. Mm. What are you going to do better? What have you been doing better? <laughs> mm. And will continue to do better on. Yes. Uh, let's see. So last time we recorded, I was going to take some time off the gym. Okay. I did. Oh, you did. I saw that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was home for for like four days. So that's more than my like usual. Uh, and that's weekdays. I always take the weekends off anyways. So only did only did one workout that week. And, you know body body good uh been giving it more rest lately um things are things are starting to look up and continuing my every wednesday dopamine detoxes so no no instagram memes no video games no caffeine and uh, so far it's going good you know uh it, it's not like it's making any massive changes but every wednesday it gives me the little reminder of it's okay to slow down a little bit. And then I will like sit down with patients and read. And now I just need to, once I can manage this for another month or so, I will probably start doing random detox days. Cause if it again becomes a habit, sort of defeats the purpose. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to start adding that. I'm also going to start like randomly picking which days I listen to the music at gym and which is I don't. So 
watch for my lips to just go right down. Oh. Um, I don't expect them to go up while I'm not listening to me. I will see. We'll see. Maybe I'll have a better brain. Who knows? <laughs> um, and I've been doing a lot more walks. So weekend I've been walking. Um, forgot how much I low-key enjoy walks. So Walks are great. Walks are great. And once it gets a slightly, slightly warmer, so in like two months, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'll be doing a whole lot more. And on to do better, um, yeah, trying out a new routine at the gym. Uh, now I'm going, I'm going more, but I'm working out less. Okay. Uh, so I'm trying to build a habit of just going every day uh, or every weekday. Weekends are still, you know, for, for relaxation, not to the gym like I'm psychopath. <laughs> um, so I will go to the gym every day, but I will only do heavy weight training three days a week. And keep Tuesdays and Thursdays for some cardio, mobility, stretching, um, and just yeah, just my 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 do some cardio with like a, a goal instead of just running. Just be like, all right, let's train our breathing more or control the heart rate on a certain whatever. Uh, yeah, that's really what I'm gonna try to do better on because everything else is pretty chill, and I don't want to overload myself in December. Because it's also the month I sit down and think about the year and try to plan the next year or what things I might want to do next year. And I had a small window of it and it gave me a slight panic attack because I was not sure what I will be doing next year. So, you know, just going to give myself a little break, <laughs> watch some Flight of the Concords, mm -hmm. and leave the panic to the future. How about you? How how you been doing good on what you will be doing good on? Well, I'm counting this as a do better or a did better. Mm. I'm saying I did contribute to my new team. Wow. I'm looking past the imposter syndrome <laughs> and saying I I did some stuff. I have at least a couple PRs merged, and they improved the local dev environment, and I felt good about it. Basically, I joined and I was like, why? If we have these Docker files, why don't we have an option to have Dockerized? environment that doesn't make much sense it would fix all these it works on my machine issues that everybody's complaining about so i just did that and uh i'm happy about it so i count that as it did better even if people on the team may disagree well they'll they'll learn you know sounds like a wheel of a time <laughs> oh god <laughs> uh i now this was the big one in the last episode mm. would nathan message girls on dating apps Oof. get ready folks and he did wow i did do that and Huge. it turns out what I was saying about them being way less miserable over here uh, makes it far more encouraging because mm -hmm. uh, it's like normal conversations. Uh, people actually, it's helpful too that uh, that they're on Hinge because there's just no Hinge use apparently on the island or at least in Victoria. Yeah, because it requires effort. Right, which was the problem. <laughs> yeah. Because you, you have like two people in your area and they would say yeah there's nobody that meets your requirements i'm like nobody even around my age <laughs> uh and so yeah I've, <laughs> if i get like a crappy response now on on hinge it's just like one word or something i just go that's a tinder level effort right there mm -hmm. which is what i was used to over in victoria uh so been yeah doing a bunch of that and socialized a bunch more because i now get to mooch off of your mutual friends <laughs> so been socializing obviously now i have a roommate as well uh, whoa. yeah whoa crazy uh so just basically not uh hermiting by myself all the time i shouldn't even say that because i was going i was leaving the apartment as much as possible uh, but still being very much alone mm -hmm. so i now have whatever it is 80 podcasts in the backlog that i haven't caught up with because my usual podcast listening time is substantially dropped. Same with my YouTube watching time. I don't have as much lonely time to fill. <laughs> uh, things now I should note things I did not do better on. Mm. There are there are a couple. Calling yourself out, good call. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, humble. Mm -hmm. So I said I was going to find out if the Land Yachts Factory outlet has a has a dinghy in stock. Mm -hmm. uh, I totally didn't do that. Oof. And so I do have a reason, but it's it's also not justified, but is justified. Essentially, I would not be riding my longboard when there's salt all over the sidewalks 
And so I put it off for three days or something when it was rainy. And I was like, oh, it's no, I wouldn't be riding anyway. Who cares? And then we had one nice day, and I went, why did I not have this by now? And then they started putting salt everywhere because it was supposed to sl- snow and rain constantly. So now I'm back in the like feeling justified camp. But I don't know. I need some way of getting to the gym more quickly so that I can shave a good half hour off of my morning uh, routine. But we'll see. And then I had just a generic thing I mentioned in the last episode of I was just going to pull the trigger on a bunch of stuff, but I wanted to actually get paid once for my new job first. Mm-hmm. I just haven't done any of those things. I don't have a new pair of boots. I don't have a new jacket. Uh, I don't have new bed sheets. I don't have really any of the stuff that I was thinking I should get these things now that I officially live here. So I'm not proud of that one. (laughs) (laughs) Things I will do better on. uh, My first point is just actually get good. And Mm. that's at my job. Ah, okay. Uh, So. But if you constantly have imposter syndrome, how would you know if you're getting good? Well, that's the thing is I feel highly motivated to actually get good Mm. uh, because of the imposter syndrome. Well, you're a DevOps person now. You will never feel good. That's the problem. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's my secret, Cap. So I am, in hindsight, very glad that I did the solutions architect work that I did Mm. earlier this year. Because without that, I would be totally lost. Because before I was assigned some uh, infrastructure-related work that's all AWS, I, (laughs) I had no actual experience with it. Or was and was not asked like, "Hey, you good at this?" It was just like, "Hey, we need this. Go do it," mm-hmm. uh, which was okay because it was what I wanted to be working on. Uh, but I was otherwise unprepared because I'd asked for two years to be more involved with that at my previous company, and it never actually happened. Uh, so I was just like, "Well, here's my chance. Guess I'll jump in," and which is why I'm motivated, but also terrified. I sharp turn here. Um, something I'm going to do better on is I'm doing going to do an experiment where I reduce the amount of sodium that I consume each day. I'm really hoping it has no effect because I'm, I'm already sad about I ate a, a pile of plain rice, plain oh. white rice earlier because I was like, what do I put on rice without soy sauce? And I didn't mm. know, so I just ate it. And uh, it's not fun. Yeah. Um, but basically, I, I looked terrible. I had these huge bags under my eyes all last week because I wasn't sleeping. Mm. And they haven't gone away fully in four days of sleeping really well. And so I Googled it. And the only one that could apply to me was if I'm sensitive to sodium and it's pooling in my eyes when I sleep. Mm. So I was like, I hope this doesn't fix it, but I also kind of hope it does because I don't want to look like garbage. Mm. But I also want to have soy sauce. So it's a mixed bag. And only the experiment can tell me the answer. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going hard with no sodium for at least three or four days. And They've got to have like no sodium, low sodium soy sauce. They do. Okay, good. They do. But I'm going... Complete. I mean, yeah, because you got to go too far to yeah. know if your hypothesis is correct or That's not. That's correct. So if I, if I still look exactly the same and I'm sleeping okay, so like that cancels out, mm-hmm. then I'll be like, all right, guess it wasn't the sodium. Uh, assuming that it, it will be have some sort of evidence after three days, four days, something like that. We'll see. But anyway, it's a it's an experiment because I don't like the the puffy eyes. Uh, yeah. Continue with dating apps and basically just uh, try to stay chill and don't get too stressed out by work. Mm-hmm. I am generally pretty good about that, but I've never had this particular feeling. At work, or at least not in memory. Maybe when I was like first getting into software development, people were paying me for it, but not in the last three years that I can remember. Uh, in recent, any recent memory. So, just trying to like remember. It's all good, man. They're probably not gonna fire you, and if they do, uh, you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. So, that's it. Wow. It was a lot of a lot of stuff, and I left out a couple things, but. Mm. I don't need to talk anymore about the things I need to do better. <laughs> yeah, because one of those don't even sound like thing you got to do better on. You just do. You, have you listened to the episode we did on imposter syndrome? Because you should go listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> listen to my past self. <laughs> yeah, 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 he's so wise. Solid advice. 
Yeah. Some might say the best one on this show. Some might. I Some don't might. Know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I haven't talked to any of our listeners, so that's true. Hard to say. <laughs> if you are one of those people, go tell your friends about it, because I don't want to do any social media work. So if you do it, um, we'll be happy. Yeah. Spread the good word for us. Yeah. Make our graph of listeners go straight up. We remarkably, it's ever so slightly trending up yeah it's very noisy very <laughs> noisy graph uh but if you squint a little and back up it mm-hmm. looks like it's going up and to the right yeah the spikes are just mondays every time we release mm. i'm sure people are getting notifications so mm. if we just release every day <laughs> no <laughs> no absolutely not all right well tell your friends so they listen to it every day mm. um because you know these are important things Except our do-betters. Just listen to the tech part and mute us out otherwise. Yeah, yeah. This last 25 minutes has been pointless. That's true. But thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks for thanks for pushing through. We'll, we'll see you in two weeks. Probably. Yeah. Bye. Bye. <laughs>